This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There's a place for you here. For information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Our first lesson today is from Micah chapter 6. Hear what the Lord says, Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me, for I have brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent you before Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam son of Beor answered him, and what happened to Shittim of Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord." With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Our second lesson today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Who is the one who is wise? Who is the scribe? Where is the debater of, the, of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards, but not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and and despised in the world, things that are not to reduce to nothing, things that are so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Jesus Christ, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, 
in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the fifth chapter. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord. When the Israelites came to the end of their exodus wandering, when they came to what had been depicted to them as the promised land, It wasn't just an empty piece of real estate glowing on the horizon waiting for them to come and take possession. It was a land already populated. It was a land made up of the Amorites, the the, um, Hittites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites. Goes on and on. And so they had to find a place. They had to carve out a place for themselves to live. And as they came, as they started, so to speak, coming across the river, King Balak of the Moabites grew concerned. He saw all these refugees, all these immigrants coming in from the east, and he was alarmed that they might settle in their area, and as he says, they would be like grazing oxen, and they would eat up all the resources so that there wouldn't be anything left for his subjects. And so he did then what we tend to do now. He threw up a wall and cursed them. Only in his case, he did it literally. He sent off to a prophet named Balaam who lived hundreds of miles away but who had a reputation 
for his ability to cast powerful curses. And he hired him to come and curse these Israelites. He sent money and promised him all of the respect and glory that he could heap upon him. And so Balaam comes. And when he gets there, he offers up seven, well, he builds seven altars and offers up seven sacrifices. That number seven, whenever it shows up, means a whole bunch of. He offered up a whole bunch of sacrifices and then climbed up to the top of a mountain overlooking this ragtag horde. And he opened his mouth to curse them, but instead blessing came out. Much to the outrage of Balak, who had hired him, who felt betrayed at this betrayal. But when confronted by Balak, Balaam said, how can I curse them when God has blessed them? They are a people all alone. They are no nation. They are just refugees. Generations later, the prophet Micah would once again speak with God's voice to the people, only this time they are no longer a ragtag bunch of immigrants, but now they are a landed people. Now they are settled and powerful in their own right, and as so often seems to happen, when people grow more prosperous, they start to see their prosperity as something that they have earned in their own right. They have worked hard. They have labored and they have gotten ahead. It's by the sweat of their own brow that they have prospered in this world. Why then should they turn around and share what they have with those who, whether too, too lazy, not clever, or strong enough, have been unable to make their own way in the world? After all, am I my brother's keeper? They started to neglect the destitute among them. They started to demonize the foreigners and the travelers. They have started to ally themselves with other prosperous and powerful neighbors to hold on to what was their own against those whom they saw as wanting to take it away from them. And so God sues them. At least that's the way that Micah depicts it. God 
speaks through Micah in legal language, opening up a trial and inviting the hills and the mountains to be God's witnesses. What have I done to you that you complain to me and whine to me about your blessings being threatened? What have I done to you that you have forgotten where you have come from? And then God reminds them where they have come from. He reminds them how it was God who found them as a powerless people in Egypt and who brought them out of slavery into freedom. He reminds them that it was God who through Moses led them through the wilderness, providing for them when they could not provide for themselves. He reminds them how through Aaron and Joshua, it was God who brought them into the promised land. That's what Micah means when he says, remember what happened between Shittim and Gilgal. Two locations on either side of the Jordan River. Remember how it was you came into the promised land. How it was God who cleared the way for you and gave you a place to live. And then Micah tells them to remember the story of Balak and Balaam. And now... Generations again later, here is another one who has been compared to the great prophets, to Moses and Elijah, speaking a prophetic word to the people, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Speaking blessing. Jesus climbs to the top of a mountain and looking out over this ragtag bunch of peoples who, to any objective observer, certainly looked cursed, but unexpectedly speaks blessing. Down through the Years, those who study scripture have pondered over these well-known beatitudes, wondering what they might represent. Some have suggested that in speaking them, Jesus is, in essence, from the top of the mountain, giving a new decalogue like Moses did before, a new law to the people. And I suppose One can see it that way, because with a little bit of juggling, you can get 10 out of there. But that would seem a little odd, because in Matthew, Jesus then goes on to state that he has not come to eliminate the law, but to fulfill the law, and in fact, expresses his hesitancy to alter even one single letter of the law. Another intriguing possibility is that perhaps Jesus is identifying new tribes of Israel, so to speak. 
In the same way that Moses spoke blessing over each tribe of Israel, now Jesus speaks blessing over these new ones that he calls, the meek, the mourning, the hungry. But I think most likely, like Micah before him, Jesus intends those who are listening to hear that echo of the story of Balaam and Balak. To once again hear the strangeness of these words of blessing that are being spoken. And to wonder what all it might mean. Because throughout Scripture, time and time and time again, the theme comes up of our helplessness and God's power. Time and time again, God intentionally acts to make sure that no one can misinterpret what's going on. Choosing not the Assyrians, not the Babylonians, but this destitute bunch of slaves in Egypt through which to bring blessing and to show people what they can be in the world. Time and time again, God works to make it clear to people that this is not by your doing that this victory is won but because of what I am doing for you. That time in the wilderness when God forms this people, God provides even their bread and water. And now here on top of the mountain, Jesus once again reminds his disciples that they are not the culmination of God's work in the world. Israel is not the paradigm, the end, but just one step in a process of blessing, one more chapter in God's ongoing work of bringing all people together into one family into making people see that we are, all of us, part of one great body, sharing body and blood, spirit, heart, and bone. So often it seems, though, we don't want to see it that way. Or we can't see it that way. These beatitudes, we've heard them so often, they come to us with almost a mind-numbing sweetness. Much like the last words that Jesus speaks to his disciples when he tells them, just love one another. Those last words we heard from Micah today, just do justice. Love kindness, walk humbly, 
It seems so obvious, but why is it so hard then? Because the world is not yet what it will be. God has not yet brought us back to the garden. We still live with the brokenness of sin. We still see ourselves as fractured and alone, pitted against one another for the limited resources of this world. But God looks out over this ragtag band and says, blessed are you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who struggle to drag themselves out of bed every morning. Those who see each day as one step more diminished than the last. For you will be lifted up. Blessed are you who feel unlovable because of who you think you are or because of what others have told you, you will be accepted. Blessed are you who struggle to make enough to get by, for you will prosper. You will prosper because that's what God intends for creation. That's what God's power has shown time and time again through Scripture. That our resources are not limited. They are only limited if we see our resources as that which we have gotten and that we hold on to over and against others. But when we see our identity as part of God's one great family, then we recognize that these resources, these blessings flow as freely and as naturally as water from the rock in the wilderness. And when we recognize that, we are no longer pitted against each other. We no longer see each other as threat, but as brother, as sister, as friend, as sibling. We see ourselves as one people. And the walls come down, and the curse is lifted. And together, together, we come into the promised land. Amen.